book of Philippians, and um, I know last week we were also in the book of Philippians, and we were in chapter 1. Uh, for those of you who were here or who were listening at home, I, hopefully you do remember that. And, you know, we, we, we talked about Paul, who is imprisoned at, you know, at the moment as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, and, you know, he, he, he shared his purpose statement right last week, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Those are very, just, just amazing words uh, to hear from the apostle, the apostle Paul. And, and we were just talking about how amazing it is that because of that purpose that he has, that clear purpose that he has, that he can even be joyful, right? He can rejoice even as he's being imprisoned, right? He cannot share the gospel to anyone he wants the way he normally would have. He obviously doesn't have the freedom to move around. He can't visit the churches that he planted. He can't continue on missionary journeys. I mean, you know, he can't see his friends as much. I mean, there's so many things he couldn't do because of his imprisonment, and yet he is able to say for, that I rejoice, right? that he is rejoicing as long as the gospel is being preached, as long as God is working in his life and working outside, you know, just furthering his kingdom, he is rejoicing because he had a very clear purpose for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so then this week, I was thinking, okay, well, how do I follow that up this week? Um, and we were in chapter 1, and I thought to myself, let me go to chapter 4. Because I, I believe that this verse, or these verses, towards the end of the book of Philippians, actually tie in really well with the words from last week in chapter 1. But because it is only because Paul is able to say, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, that in today's passage, he is also able to say that he has learned the secret to be content. But he's talking about contentment. He has faced a secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound in any and every circumstance. He is able to be content. Now think about that for a second. This one asks you a question. How many of us in this room would say, I am content? Right? I mean, you don't wanna, I don't want you to raise your hands or anything like that, but just think about it for a second. How many of us in this room, if you know, if you were just thinking today, would actually say, I believe I am a content person? Or would most of us maybe say, I'm sometimes content? but oftentimes I'm discontented, right? I'm complaining. You know, you know, when we woke up this morning, how many of us woke up saying, God is good, right? Life is beautiful, right? Praise the Lord. Or did we wake up, you know, as we were getting older saying, oh, my back hurts, right? Or, you know, I don't want to wake up. Or maybe if you have young kids, you know, be quiet, why are you waking me up, right? Like, or, you know, or maybe some of us thought, oh, it's Sunday, I should go to church, you know, I don't want to, it's like my only day off, right? Like, did we wake up full of complaints? Or did we wake up with a sense of contentment and joy, thanksgiving and happiness? As we live day to day, going to school, going to work, right? Watching our kids, right? Like playing sports, you know, doing whatever it is that we do, are we 
praising God? Are we being joyful, thankful, and being contented? Or, again, are we complaining? And so today, really, I want to think about contentment because if anyone should not be content, it should be the Apostle Paul. Because think about the Apostle Paul. He is living a life being sold out for Jesus. But he gave up everything for Jesus. He gave it up. And he's living his life. And he has been suffering. Right? He has you know, been ridiculed. You know, he's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's imprisoned. And you know, there are people that are envying him. And you know, there, there are people even preaching the gospel you know, out of bad motivation to hurt him in a sense. And so here's all these bad things happening in his life. And yet this man is able to say that he's content. He's able to say that he's rejoicing. And I want to really think today about how is that even possible? And how can we hopefully find contentment in our lives? And so really there's three points I want to make today. It's one, the nature of contentment, the challenges to contentment, and the secret of contentment, right? The nature of contentment, the challenges to contentment, and the secret of contentment. Now, as you go into that, I do want to explain the, you know, just kind of the, the context of where he's sharing this. He's, he's sharing in these verses that he's thankful for the gift that he has received from the Philippians. And so if you look at from verses 10 to 13, that's kind of the context. He just talked about not being anxious. He talked about, you know, having peace. Right, That's, that comes only really through Christ and to pray to the Lord when you're, you know, when you're obviously anxious. Don't be anxious. When you have a peace, you, can, you want a peace that, that really guards your heart in Christ Jesus. And then he's kind of moving and talking about being thankful to the Philippians for their gift. Right? Obviously, Philippians, you know, if you read the Bible, they're not the richest people in the world, and yet they have a very close relationship with the Apostle Paul, and so they're giving generously out of the little that they have. So he is thankful. But as he is thanking them, he also wants to make sure that it's not the kind of thanks where, you know, hey, thank you, but you should have done it sooner, or thank you, but I want more. Like, you know, he's, he's making it very clear that he's thankful, but in a way that's hopefully a blessing to the Philippians. So if you look at the verse, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So I'm thankful that you're blessing me. But then he says this, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he wants to make sure, I'm not saying, hey, thank you that finally you shared your concern for me through your gift. I don't want you to think I'm complaining. I know that you wanted to do it for me. You just had no opportunity. And then in verse 11, he continues and says, and I'm not saying thank you because I have a big need and I want you to just keep giving, giving, giving. No, 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 no. I'm very thankful for your gift. I'm thankful that you're up for your heart. But I also want you to know that I have learned to be content in any situation. So what did you think? As he's thanking the Philippians, he's also looking for an opportunity to teach them something. Because obviously, like us, the Philippians often were not content either. And so what is Paul doing in his thankfulness to them? He also wants to share with them a lesson about an important thing called contentment. 
So again, well, the nature of contentment first. Well, what is contentment? Now, if you look at a dictionary, generally, it's going to, be, it's going to say that contentment is, you know, satisfaction, right, happiness, right? It's, it's um, let me actually put this down, let me read it. Right, generally, you're going to find something that says state of happiness, state of satisfaction, maybe state of peaceful happiness and satisfaction, and I think that kind of makes sense, right? Uh, I think uh, one, one, one person put it this way, that contentment is, is kind of like when you have a good meal, right? I don't know, you know, if you've had a good meal, maybe a good steak or something, or, you know, a good burger, or wh whatever it is that you like, right? You eat a good meal, and how do you feel? You feel satisfied, right? You feel content. If you eat too little, you feel hungry, right? You're not happy, you're not content, but if you eat too much, you feel <laughs> a little too full, right? And I'm sure we've all experienced that as well. But when you eat, you know, just the right amount of food, you feel satiated, you feel satisfied, you feel good, right? And in a sense, that's kind of what contentment is like. It's a sense of happiness, a sense of satisfaction. Now, then, to explain that a little bit more, what is contentment, it's, it's having a satisfied mind, though, in any situation, right? It's, it's being satisfied in any situation. So, in, you know, the Greek here actually will literally actually say more like, I have learned to be self-sufficient. And, you know, the, the Philippians should have known been familiar with this kind of attitude because they probably would have been familiar with a philosophy called Stoicism. And I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have heard that as well. And the idea was this. You don't want to rely on other things for your happiness. So where do you get your sense of satisfaction and happiness from? You get it from yourself. Right? It's a self-sufficient kind of thing. You find the resources inside of yourself, whether you have a lot, whether you have a little, whether you have plenty, you know, whether you have nothing, whether you're in a good times, bad time, whether you're rich, you're poor, you know, you don't want those things to affect you. So what you do is you find inside of yourself the resources to be self-sufficient and to be content, to find satisfaction. So really, contentment will be something that is independent of all circumstances, and contentment is something that, you know, at least according to the Stoics, would be something that you find within yourself. Now, the Apostle Paul in this passage is going to flip that, and he's going to really say to us, it's true that contentment is independent of circumstances. I mean, he says it in the passage, right? You know, whatever situation I am in, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, whether I'm brought up high or brought down low, he says, I can be content. However, what we're going to see is, but Paul's point is going to be this, you are not necessarily self-sufficient. No. None of us have the resources in ourselves to truly find joy, happiness, satisfaction. His point is going to be, the only way you can truly be content is through Christ. Right? So it's not self sufficiency, it's Christ sufficiency, right? I, um, I was just reading about contentment, and I just have a few quotes that I actually really found helpful. Uh, one author puts it this way, contentment is finding inner satisfaction in God alone, 
and in his provisions for you. It is experiencing his peace and confidence in difficult times. It is consciously enjoying the fact that God is good even when your circumstances are not. I like that, right? It's finding inner satisfaction in God alone, in his provisions, and it's finding peace and confidence in difficult times, but it's enjoying the fact that God is good even when your circumstances are not. Um, that's, that's beautiful, right? Sinclair Ferguson, another famous author, says, contentment is a direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at his disposal, right? Contentment is a direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at his disposal. And really the, the famous quote that I felt like I read everywhere is from a, from a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. It's from the 1600s. And his quote goes, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Right, it's a little long. I'll read that one more time, literally because I think everybody I read quoted this quote. Everybody seemed to quote this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition, right? It's a sweet thing. There's an inward, gracious framework in that frame of spirit inside of me, and it's really because I believe that God is good. Um, I guess really uh, a really simple way to put it is, uh, I think I was reading something Tim Keller wrote, and he defines it this way. It says, God, you're enough. Nice and simple, right? <laughs> right? It says, contentment, and ultimately saying is, God, you're enough. I love you enough. Right? It's your honor, not the claim of others. It's your love, not the love of others, which is fundamental, right? God, you're enough. So it is a sense of satisfaction, right? A sense of happiness. It is being, having a satisfied heart, soul, mind in any in every situation, why? Because God, you are enough. And one of the things in the passage that we read, which I think is important for us to know, is that verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. So when you talk about the nature of contentment, it's independent of circumstances, right? It's not self-sufficiency, it's Christ-sufficiency, but also it's learned. See, I think sometimes as Christians, we think when we become a Christian, boom, everything is fixed. I don't know if you think this way, right? It's just like, boom, everything is fixed. Before I was sad, now I will always be joyful, right? Before I held grudges, I will always be forgiving, right? Before, you know, I was discontented, I complained, but I will always be content. And that's not the Christian life. Anyone here who's been a Christian for a substantial amount of time, we know this, right? Justification, yes, being saved, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, an, it's something that happens one time, but our sanctification, our growth in Christ, it's a lifelong process. It is slow. And I actually find it really encouraging 
that the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content, right? Because it means all of us here, we have to also learn to be content. We're not going to just be like, boom, I'm a Christian, boom, I'm content. No, we're going to complain. We're going to feel discontent. We're going to struggle with joy. We're going to struggle with thanksgiving. But what we're being challenged to do is to learn and to grow in our contentment. And then really lastly, talking about the nature of contentment, and we'll go back to the learning and this part as well, it's a secret. Right? It's contentment is a secret. He says, I have learned the secret, you know, to of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And so there is something he's saying that we're striving for contentment, but we, we can't fully reach it. Why? Because it is a secret, and he's saying, let me share with you what that secret is. And so we'll go back to that in the third point. So the nature of contentment, but also challenges to contentment. Why am I not content? Now, if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, again, you would think he shouldn't be content. He often had financial hardship, often was without money, and I think all of us here know, whether you're a materialistic person or not, if you have no money, it is hard to be content, right? It's hard. He often was without money, right? He had a tough life as an apostle, tough working life, he was constantly traveling, and, you know, and now... He's imprisoned. Again, not for a crime that was like a bad crime. He's in prison because he was being faithful to the call that he received to share the gospel. He's a church planner. He's a missionary. He's an apostle. His calling is to disciple people and to preach the gospel and to plant churches. And he was just faithfully doing what God wanted him to do. And now he's imprisoned for that. And so that's a challenge, right? We know he had many injuries. We hear him being beaten and stoned, being shipwrecked. He probably had many scars. He probably had many wounds. Some people, you know, think maybe he had a weak immune system from everything that he went through, right? Obviously, he used to be really respected as a Pharisee, but a lot of people were ridiculing him. People were, you know, wishing for his ill. Not to, you know, and, you know, and so he had a lot of things going on in his life that should have made him not content. And I think a lot of times we have many things going on in our lives that are difficult. We go through difficult financial issues, maybe relational issues. We go through difficult family issues. We go through difficulty at school. We go through difficulty in our jobs. We go through difficulty with our health. And yes, there are many things that happen that challenge our contentment. But also, on a heart level, there are many challenges. Because I think many of us, if not to some extent all of us, we see contentment from the things in this world. And they don't satisfy. You know, it's kind of like this. Right? I think a lot of people, when they think of contentment, they think of maybe like a baby, Right? I don't know if you ever think that. I, I used to, when I was young, before I had babies, right? Like, I used to think contentment, kind of like, the picture of contentment was, you know, like a little child or a little baby, and they're in mommy's arms, and they look so happy, right? And they're just kind of cooing, and they're, you know, maybe drinking their milk, and life is good. 
And here's the thing, you know, like, you know, you know, my youngest, right, he's a little over one now, but he's getting his milk or, you know, he's in mommy's arms, right, like, you know, and she's playing with him. He does look very content. He looks so happy. But it's not contentment. You know why? The second I remove that milk bottle, he's angry, right? He cries, he growls, right? The second I don't let him do something that he wants to do, life is over, right? He is so miserable and he is so upset. And it's like this 180 goes from smiles and joy and happiness and look of pure contentment to just growling and crying and upsetness. And I think a lot of times that's a picture of us. Because we say, as long as I have this, you can fill in the blank what that this is for you, I will be happy. But if I don't have this, I will be angry, I'll be depressed, I'll be upset, I'll be discontented, I will complain. And that's what happens, right? We put all of our hopes in the things of this world, right? We call it idolatry, and that's what it is. What is our calling in life? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. We are called to say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But for me, it's not to live is Christ. To live is, and we fill in the blank, my job, my family, money, right? Like, you can go on and on, stature, right, recognition, our popularity. We can go on and on. We have things in our lives that we say, I need this thing. And only if I have this thing or these things will I be happy, will I be content. And when we live like this, what happens? I'm never happy long term. Because if I live for people to like me, eventually somebody will not like me. Even if 9 out of 10 people like me, that's a lot of 10% of people that don't like me. Right? If I live for success, sooner or later, my success will be blocked. If I live for money, how much, you know, if I live for money and I'm poor, I'm miserable because I want more money. But even if I'm rich, if all I live is for money, I'm still miserable because you can never have too much, right? And when you're scared of losing the amount that you have. And so again, we are miserable. And so that's what we do. We put our hopes in shaky foundations, and that is why we are not content. And you know, a lot of things, when we're younger, it becomes this pursuit, right? I want these things in my life. And so we just run. We just run and we go for it. And we're not happy, but we go, if I just get there, if I can just get there, I'll be happy. And then, you know, you talk to people as they get older, and sometimes it becomes very cynical. I'll never get there. Or I got there, and my life is still miserable. Um, I actually remember hearing a quote from Tim Keller. I don't know if it's his quote, if he quoted somebody, but I like it, so I'll share it. And I'm paraphrasing it, but it went something like this. Because he was talking about how we realize things in the world don't satisfy as we get older, and now sometimes we don't believe in anything. And he says, they used to cry for the moon, but now they just cry. It's depressing. But, you know, I get it. Right? You used to cry for the moon because I wanted that. I wanted to reach for the stars. I want it. And maybe now I just cry because I don't believe in anything. And we think sometimes if only this was different or if that was different, I'll truly be happy. But really what Paul is saying and really what the Bible teaches us is that 
we're not going to get contentment, true happiness, true satisfaction, true joy, true contentment until we seek our contentment in Christ. That's what really the third point is, right? So what is the nature of contentment? Challenges to contentment, but lastly, the secret of contentment. And it's in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of the most famous Bible verses uh, you're going to find. And, and you see it, you know, a lot. Even with athletes, I think you'll, I've seen people put it on, like, their sneakers, right, 413. Or maybe sometimes people, like, put it on, like, like you know, like a temporary whether it's a tattoo or they paint it on or whatever in the Philippines 4.13. And I think I've seen people, sometimes they put it on their arm. They literally will tattoo something like that and you know, they'll write it out. You know, and it's a very popular verse. It is also, to be really honest, a very misapplied verse. Because you know, I've seen people say, you know, Jesus says, or, or Paul says, God says to me, I can do all things through him. That's, the him is Christ. So I can all do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to go dunk this basketball. I'm like, you're five foot eight and you're Korean. You're not going to dunk. You try all you want, right? It's a misapplication, right? And obviously, you know, you, you, I think I do hear athletes sometimes saying stuff like that, like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. And I don't think Paul is saying because you believe in Jesus, you're going to win a championship. Right? That, that's really not the point. You know, I had a friend actually shared the story with me about a youth group student of his. And the student... And he wasn't even joking. He went to his youth pastor and said, I really like this girl. I don't think she likes me. But I read Philippians 4.13. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, like, you hope that's a joke, right? <laughs> it wasn't. And so I think, you know, this pastor had to really school his student that that is not how you apply that verse. You can't just be like, I like her, so I can do all things, right? That's not in the work. And, but we often think that way. And this verse is used that way. I can do anything and everything that I put my mind to and God will support me and Christ will help me do it. Because he promised Philippians 4.13. And the context, you got to look at the context of this verse. What is the context? The context is doing things for God and to do it with contentment. So really what is he saying? I can do all things for the glory of God, to do all the things that I'm called to do, and I can do it with contentment. I can do everything with contentment for his glory through him who strengthens me. He's talking about contentment. I can be content. Through who? Through Christ. And if you want to go woodenly, in Christ. But it is our union with Christ, our communion with Christ that gives us contempt. It's not self-sufficiency. It's not stoicism. It is Christ's sufficiency. Like I said before, when my life is about money, whether I have it or don't, I'm not going to be truly content. Because if I don't have money, I'm going to be miserable. And if I have it, I'm going to want more and more and more. If my life is all about finding the right marriage partner, and then I think I'm going to be content, obviously when I don't have one, I'm going to be miserable. But then when I get married, I'm going to put a burden on my marriage that shouldn't be there, and I will never be 
content. Paul is saying, because of my union with Christ, my position, my identity has completely changed because of my relationship with Christ. Why, before I was an object of wrath. I needed to be condemned. I needed to go to hell for eternity. But now because of my union with Christ, because Christ went to the cross and died for a sinner like me, I am now forgiven. I am saved. I am a child of God who is fully known, fully loved. And I know God is there for me. Therefore, I know that when there is a want, when I am lacking, when I am struggling, I know that I can be fully confident that in all things, God is working for my good. Even in my suffering, I can look to Christ. I can look to my future glory, and I know that Christ is with me, that he is for me. Because when I'm in wealth and in plenty, or when I don't have any of those things, my identity is not wrapped up in these things. So if I have a lot, I'm not afraid to lose it because my identity is in Christ. And if I don't have, I'm not so miserable because, again, my identity is in Christ. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, whatever situation that I am in, because I said in Philippians 1, right, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain, because I'm looking to Christ Always, whether I have a lot, whether I have nothing, whether I'm brought up or brought low, whatever is going on in my life, because I know who I am in Christ. I am a loved child of God who has been saved from the condemnation that I deserve, and I will always be loved by Christ, and I can always live for him, and I will spend eternity with him, and because of my faith in Christ, my union with Christ, my communion with Christ, I can be Content. And that is a beautiful thing. But again, as I was saying before, he's learned it. So it's not just, hey, I heard a sermon about contentment. Boom, I went home. I'm content. Yesterday, I complained 24-7. And today, I'm going to be all smiles. And I'm just going to be all contented. No. He is saying, I need to learn. I need to grow in my contentment. And here, the learning is not propositions, right? It's not like, hey, if I keep reading about contentment, right? If I, let me get that book about contentment, and boom, I'm content. It's really practice. It's practice. It's like playing the piano, right? I'm, I'm not very good at piano, but the reason I'm not good at piano is because I didn't practice, right? Um, I was like a typical child, you know, my mom said, you should learn piano, okay? In the beginning, it's very easy, and then it gets hard, and you just don't want to do it anymore, right? You don't want to practice. If you want to become an amazing pianist, what happens? You have to practice, and practice, and practice, and practice, right? It's, it's, it's part of it. As a child of God, if I want to be content, what do I have to do? First, I have to, I have to repent, right? When I see the things in my life that I am treasuring, the things in my life that are keeping me from contentment, the things in my life that put out my hopes in for my happiness and joy, what do I have to do? I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I have made this thing, my treasure, I've made this thing so important that without this I will be miserable, so I need to repent of those things. But as I repent, 
who do I turn to? I turn to Christ. Right? Repentance and faith. I turn and I look at the promises of Christ. I look at the cross of Christ. I look at the gospel every day. I meditate on it every day. I think about the sinner that I am. That even though I am the sinner who has this, who had all these idols and idolatries, and I am failing God over and over again, yet He forgives me and He loves me. And Christ went to the cross for me, and He sends me His Holy Spirit to work in my life. And He has a home in heaven prepared for me. And as I meditate on the gospel every day, and I think about how He humbled himself to the point of death upon a cross so that I could be forgiven and loved. As I think about the gospel every day, not only do I repent, I cling on to Christ, I cherish him, I meditate on the gospel, and then I start reasoning with myself, right? Why am I not content? I apply the gospel into my own life. Why am I not content when I have all these blessings? All I deserve is hell. Everything I have is by the grace of God. So thank you, Jesus. And when I do this, I can't just do this by myself. I need brothers and sisters in Christ around me when I complain. You know, it's not helpful when I complain if everybody around you is like, yeah, you're right. You ever do that? You know, like you don't like somebody at work or at school. I don't like him. I don't like her. And everybody around you is like, yeah, she's terrible. Yeah, he's so messed up. And they just kind of irk you on, right? And they just like, just rile you on. And the conversation gets more and more gossipy and slanderous, right? No, we need people in our lives to help us reason, to help us apply the gospel, right? To help us look to Christ in those moments. So we need to repent. We need to really cling on to the cross think about the promises of Christ and reason in our lives with the gospel, but also we have to commune with him and we have to grow in intimacy with our Lord and with our Savior. And as we do this, as we meditate upon the gospel and as we repent and as we cling onto the cross and as we think about how beautiful he is, our hearts will slowly begin to change and we will become more and more content. Let me close with this. Um, remember when I was in seminary, I heard this uh, illustration by one of my professors, and I found it very helpful. Uh, I hope you'll find it helpful. Maybe you've heard it before. And the illustration was kind of like this. He was saying the Christian life is like a man going up the stairs with a yo-yo. Now, if you know what a yo-yo is, right, you just have this little thing on the string, and it just goes up and down. And he was saying the Christian life is kind of like that. You know, you have ups and you have downs, you have ups and you have downs, you have ups and you have downs. And so that's sanctification, right? Like, and even in that contentment, there are going to be days we feel more content, more joy, more thanksgiving. There are going to be days we're like depressed and we're in the doldrums and we're trying to apply the gospel, but nothing's really like helping me. And I just feel like God's not even here. And, you know, Christ, are you even with me? And I read the scriptures, but it does nothing for me. So they're going to be downs. And they're going to be like these highs. And they're going to be downs. They're going to be these highs. But he said, it's like a man walking up a staircase, meaning, yeah, you have your ups and downs, but as you grow in Christ, right, the man is pretty much Christ, right? Like, he's going up the stairs. So you may have ups and downs, but you're still growing, right, until one day we'll be with Christ for eternity. And my encouragement is we're going to, at times, feel joy and thankfulness and contentment, 
at times when our situations get really hard, it's going to be hard to get there. But I pray and I trust because we're in Christ's hands, right, that we will slowly be growing in our Christian walk and that our joy, our thanksgiving, and our contentment will grow in Christ, even with the ups and downs of life. Why? Because Christ is the one working in our hearts and growing us. Let's pray.